Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12, and that's found on page 521 of your Maroon uh, Pew Bible. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the dark is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel reading today is found on page 896 of your pew Bible. It's from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. And from the book of John, chapter 31, verses 14 to 22, we hear these words. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, 
You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is the very word of God. Do you remember when your children or your grandchildren were little and, and you um, wanted to communicate to them how much you loved them? Uh, you might have done something like we did. You, you say, um, does daddy love you that much? Do you remember that? Did you do that? And, and, and your child would go, no. And you go, well, does daddy love you that much? And your child would go, no. And you go, does daddy love you that much? And, and the child would go, yes. And you would give him a great big hug, right? And it's interesting as we go through the brokenness of our lives and as we mess up and fall short, uh, then those arms kind of go in the reverse direction, don't they? You know, and we start to believe that daddy only loves us that much, right? Or daddy couldn't possibly love us more than that. Or possibly, I don't know, but possibly like Peter or where we find him here, he doesn't know that God loves him at all. He's fallen short. He's messed up big time. God says, I love you so much I spread my arms and died for you, Peter. This isn't about your sin. This is about my love for you. Sing it one more time with me, would you? Oh, how he loves us all. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us all. Oh, God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to anchor ourselves in that today, God. And we're going to go further with you today. And I just pray your Holy Spirit would take my words and our thoughts and and somehow do that miracle that you do and make them your words, God, and and make them our lives. And I pray that the world will be blessed, God, because you don't just love us. You love us all. The world will be blessed as a result. God, we commit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, do you remember last week? It was all I could do last week not to slide into this week's passage. And I think I did end up sliding into it. But 
I, I dared our, our Sunday school classes not to do that. Why? Because Jesus is very intentionally uh, bringing his disciples to a new understanding of who he is and is loved. You remember, he had told Mary, when you go see them, you tell them, I'm going ahead of you to Galilee. And, 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 and uh, I want to meet with my disciples there. And then we saw that kind of weird dynamic where, where uh, Jesus appeared to one errant disciple on the road to Emmaus, and, or two actually, and, and drew them back, drew them back. Uh, he uh, appeared to all the disciples except Thomas in that upper room on that Easter Sunday night and, and, and revealed himself to him, gave him that little boost, that little shot in the arm. Thomas wasn't there, so, and they were still in Jerusalem a week later, and so he appeared again to them and, 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 and showed his hands to Thomas, and, and, and Thomas said those powerful words, my Lord and my God, and we saw that Jesus said, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who have not seen. Speaking of you, speaking of me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And, and, and it's a powerful expression of the risen God in people's lives. But, but remember what he said? Remember what he said? He had a purpose. He had, he had a purpose for having his disciples go back, as it were, to the scene of the crime, to the place where they spent the bulk of the last three years learning about the very nature and character of Jesus. And so he has them come up to that place. And then I'm reading into the story a little bit, but as we saw last week, it appeared that he did not show up. And for quite a while, enough so that Peter... Finally said, you know what, I'm going fishing for fish. Peter reverted to where he was three years before. I love Peter for a lot of reasons, but this is one of them. Because I've been there and I've done that. I've seen amazing things of God. I've seen miracles of God. And then I revert back like I didn't know those things. Like I hadn't seen those things. Like God hadn't intervened in my life in such a powerful way. And so, so Peter does that as well. We saw last week that amazing sequence of events where, where Jesus uh, went all the way back to his first call in their life. And he recreated five events in, in, in the space of 20 minutes to remind Peter, to remind the disciples of all that uh, that they had learned all that they had seen in him. And, and we left last week with them sitting around a charcoal fire. Remember that? The smell of Kingsford in their nose, you know. And, 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 and the reminder uh, to Peter of this tension that he was living in. On the one hand, at the last time he'd been around that charcoal fire, he had betrayed Jesus. On the other hand, Jesus was sitting right before him. And, 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 and apparently it's not a, pro- a problem for Jesus I want to say to you, I challenged you, there's a little mystery in there, and that is that Jesus has sometime appeared to Peter in between. By himself, Jesus intervened in Peter's life, and we're not told a thing about it, other than two witnesses say Jesus has appeared to Peter and then to all the disciples. So Jesus had had to go retrieve Peter like he had retrieved uh, Cleopas and, and possibly the other disciple that was with Cleopas, his wife, or another disciple and, and revealed himself in the in-between time. Now, Jesus appears on the shore. Uh, John, in, in seeing the, the multitude of fish, just like three years before, says, it is the Lord. Peter jumps into the water, swims to the shore, and they're sitting around. Now, it's like us sitting around a campfire right here. Only problem is you're sopping wet, right? Because you just, cause you just uh, swam 100 yards in to be with Jesus. And, 
And that constant uh, the moisture is going to remind you of something, right? And, and, and Jesus does an amazing thing. He, how many times have you seen Jesus read the thoughts of someone? Uh, even though they didn't say a word, they didn't give any indication, and he just reads their thoughts, right? Remember when they were sitting just a, a few nights before, they were sitting around the Lord's table in that, in that Last Supper, and, and he read their thoughts. They were, they were thinking, he's thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be crucified in a few hours, and they're thinking, I wonder who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? And he just reads their thoughts. That's what I love about Psalm 139, right? Uh, the psalmist says, Lord, you know my thoughts. You know everything about me. You, you uh, hem me in. You ordain my life. The psalmist goes on to say, all the days ordained for me were set apart before one of them came to be. God reads our thoughts. I'm wondering, Dennis, if, if that didn't happen right here, that, that they're sitting around the fire, they're eating breakfast, and John says... They all knew it was the Lord, but all of them were afraid to say it. Keep in mind that he's hard to recognize, right? He's in, in this glorified state, and he's hard to recognize. If it weren't for the handprints and the, and the, and the, the scars on his feet, then, then they wouldn't be sure. And, and in the midst of that, they're sitting on the fire. Jesus asks Peter a question. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus asks us. And I'm going I'm to translate that one question into three questions for you. Uh, it's almost like he's reading his mind again. Now, Peter's sopping wet, right? And he's, and, and he's looking around thinking, nobody else jumped in the water, you know? And I, I have to say that, uh, and this is Dave again, I, I think there was a little bit of a rivalry between John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and Peter about who loved Jesus the most, right? And, 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 Judging by, by Jesus' question, I think Jesus was reading his heart. He was thinking, I love Jesus more than all of these other people. How do I know that? Because what's the question that Jesus asks him? Uh, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? You know, you know the dynamic, don't you? Uh, uh, three times Jesus asks the question. And each time when Peter answers him, he says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. I just, I wouldn't plan for this, Michelle, but wow, what an awesome, what an awesome introduction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell children, tell your coworkers, feed people spiritual food. Tell them about me, care for them. Care for them like a shepherd. Like a shepherd. We'll come back to that shepherd in a minute. He denied him three times. And three times Jesus comes back and says, Do you love me? Get back in the game. Your sin is not a problem for me. Your past is not a problem for me. I was not surprised. I told you. I told you, Satan's demanding to sift you like wheat. And after you have come through, then strengthen your brothers, right? After you have come through, feed my sheep. Jesus was not surprised by, by Peter's betrayal, by his denial, excuse me. Uh, he's not surprised by anything in your life as well. Peter's denial didn't affect one ounce of Christ's 
Love for Him. That's why we anchored ourselves so powerfully all worship service long in, in Christ's love for us. Because you've got to tap into that. You've got to have that as your foundation. If, if, the only, if the only experience of love is your own experience, your ability to love, or the love that you see around you, you will fall perilously short of, of an understanding of the love of God for you. Um, oh, how He loves us. How He loves us so. It's so important. But I want to turn that corner with you. You know, many of you know the dynamics. If you don't, let me, let me just explain it to you for a second. We know that, that our uh, English language is perilously uh, uh, weak in terms of many different concepts. One of those concepts is, is the concept of knowledge. We have one word for knowledge. Um, in Greek, there are ten words for it, all the way from intellectual ascent to epigonosco, the, to, the, to the full knowledge that's, that's equated with experience of. No, don't just tell me you have head knowledge. Tell me you have experiences. Adam knew Eve, and they had a baby, right? They experienced that intimacy. The Greek was so much richer, but you're much more familiar with the fact that, that there were, where we have one word for love, that there were many words for love. And, and we've talked about this before. If you're visiting with us, um, there's four primary words uh, for love in Greek that we all just throw into one hat. And I've expressed to you before, I love my wife, I love my car, I love my daughter. Um, I, I, we say that, I love my job. We, we say that and we're using the same word even though it's radically different understanding, right? Well, let's review real quickly what those words are. Do you remember that? There's, there's the word eros, or eros literally, eros. Which is, which is basically a, a love that makes me feel good about myself. And, and, and you could even go as far as pleasure, right? That's why, why we have, in English have the word erotic. It's a pleasure word. It's something that makes you feel good. Don't think just nasty thoughts about that, right? It, it means that it's something that makes you, that gives you pleasure. Love that gives you pleasure. It's, it's self-love. And it's God-given. It has boundaries, but it's, but it's a good thing. And don't let just the nasty things take away a gift that God has given you that's really beautiful. But there's another kind of love as well, and, and many of you are experiencing that right this moment. It's, a, it's, a, it's called storge, and, it, and it, is, um, it is a familial love. There's just something about, about uh, your nuclear family, people that, that are flesh and blood with you, right? My sisters could beat me to a pulp when I was... When I was young, but, but boy, if someone else came and tried to beat me to a pulp, my sisters would take them out, right? Um, there's just something about that. There's a, there's a familial love, and I don't want you to lose this. It's a God-given love. Why? Because this earthly family is a reflection of God's, our Father's love for us as well, right? So it is it, a beautiful thing. By the way, that love only appears a couple times in the New Testament, and it's always in the negative it's always when you don't love your family, the problem that comes. Uh, it's just assumed in that culture that you take care of your own, that, that you love those in your nuclear family. That's what's 
under so much attack in our culture right now is, is the structure of the family, of marriage and of the family. God has given us this beautiful reflection of his kingdom in uh, our family's love. But now we get into a couple that are more familiar to us. And I'm going to say it how you usually think about it, and then I'm going to try and translate it for you a little bit today. Uh, the next one is, is phileo. Remember that word? Phileo or the noun philia? Uh, it is... It is um, uh, the w- word that became the genesis, uh, first Amman, Jordan, which was originally called Philadelphia, Jordan. Uh, but then we uh, renamed a city in the United States, a city of brotherly love. Well, uh, love for Delphos, Adelphos, your brothers. And, and there's now, now we're, it's not the same story here, right? Now we're crossing a line. Now we're recognizing that it's not just us, but that we're part of a large spiritual family. And, and, and that you can have this amazing dynamic with people who are not your flesh and blood. I gave you a big hug a little while ago, Linda. Why, why is it? Because, because we're brother and sister in Christ. There's this love there that, that, uh, that God has given that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, and, and, and it's a very precious word. Don't ever in your, your journey to agape love, don't diminish Eros, don't diminish storge, don't diminish phileo, this, this beautiful brotherly love. Um, they're gifts of God. And by the way, in our memory verse for this next series, you'll see that the last two things to add to your faith, after eight or nine things, is, is phileo and agape. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to be camping on these concepts for the next few weeks together, too. Uh, wow, wow. And, and, and Jesus had, and the disciples had experienced that phileo love for three years together. Brotherly love, sisterly love, that beautiful love. And then you know that, of course, there's this, this other word, and it's actually a word that Jesus has hijacked from the culture. Um, Jesus infused the word agape with, with a powerful, more meaning than it ever had in the, in the classical Greek culture. What basically he, he described was, was this love now that not looks to its own at all, but that is completely free to sacrificially love someone else, right? God so agape the world that he gave sacrificially his only begotten son, right? Uh, it, it, is, it is this love that says, I don't need anything at this point. I am uh, completely free to love sacrificially and selflessly someone else. And the definition of that comes in, in that John 14 passage. Greater agape has no one than this. Help me. But that they should lay down his life or their life for uh, an Adelphoi, uh, a, 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 a someone they phileo. Isn't that interesting? That's, it's not, you had friend, didn't you? You remembered friend. But, but the word is actually someone that they love with brotherly love. Greater love has no one than this. Greater agape that they should lay down their life for someone they, they uh, have experienced now as a brother. Wow, thank you for holding with me through, through that. For many of you, it was very familiar very familiar concepts. Why is that important? Because of the dynamic that happens in John 21. And, and Peter, or Jesus, discerning probably where Peter's mind was at, uh, wow, I'm, uh, I'm going to judge my love by, by my swimming that hundred yards. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than John, more than these? 
By the way, you might in your studies have wondered, well, are we talking about the fish or is he talking about people? The rest of our verse makes it really clear. He's talking about people. Do you love me more than, which gives you insight into where Peter's mind was. So he says, Peter, do you agape me more than everybody else? Now, here's a problem, right? As we saw last week, just a few days before, Jesus had said, uh, the Son of Man is going to be crucified. And, 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 and on the third day, he will rise again. And Peter said, no way. I'm not going to let that happen to you. And, and, and uh, Jesus had told him, Peter, before morning, you're going to deny me three times. And, and he said, I will die. I will lay down my life before I let that happen to you, Jesus. Right? So Peter's a little gun shy here. Right? He had just made that promise. He had just blown it. Jesus had intervened in his life to overwhelm him with the love of God. And, and now Jesus is saying, Peter, will you lay down your life for me? Greater agape has no one than this. They should lay down their life for someone they follow, right? For someone they love with brotherly love. Will you do that? Here's, I love Peter for this. He has so much integrity. And it's this clear in Scripture. You know this. It's this clear in Scripture. He comes back and says, Lord, you know. And this is the, one of those knowledge words. You, have, you intellectually understand, don't you, Jesus, that I screwed up big time. That I love you with brotherly love. Oh, yeah. Tender compassion. I love you, Jesus. But I can't tell you again that I would lay down my life for you. And it's so beautiful that even in spite of that, there's that, that obvious change of direction. Jesus says, that's all right. Get back in the game. Feed my sheep. Remember, that's what a shepherd does, right? Feeds sheep. Tends lambs. Lays down his life for the sheep. John, John 10. Uh, Peter survived. Okay, I, I don't understand it, but you're putting me back in the game. I don't know how much time goes by right here. The, the scripture's unclear. And then Jesus comes back again. Peter, do you agape me? I mean, it's that obvious. Didn't we just talk about this, Jesus? You know. He still uses that word for intellectual assent. You know. Uh, Jesus, I... I love you as a brother, but I can't go there with you. Tend my lambs. Tend my lambs. Get in the game. We don't know how much time goes by. They're still around the fire, so it's a relatively short period of time, but we don't know how much of a pregnant pause there was right there. Comes back a third time. Comes back a third time. And... I, I just met when he says, Peter, I can just imagine when his heart just drops because he knows exactly what he's going to say. He's going to say, do you agape me? And Peter's so distressed, but Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Your Bible says, he says, do you love me? Yes, he said that, but he, this time he met Peter where he was. This time he came back and said, and said Peter, do you follow me? And I, I don't know, but I draw so much comfort from knowing that when my love for Jesus falls short, which is like 365 days a year, 
when my love for Jesus falls short, he still meets me at the the ability I have to love him. He meets me there. Again, it's not about me, is it? It's not about me at all. It's about him. It's about his love. Jesus says to you, follow me. And, And look at this. He changes, Peter changes words as well. It says no in your Bible, but he changed. He jumped to the other word. He said, uh, it's very distressed. Jesus, you have experienced, you have experienced that I can only love you with brotherly love. You have experienced that I follow you. You've experienced that I can't, that I can't lay down my life for you. That's what's so amazing about the next words. Are you still there? Because all of a sudden the, the conversation goes, right? And changes directions just like that. And, 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 and your son, you say, well, how come there wasn't like a paragraph in there? How come we didn't look at that differently? It's because, because Jesus is not changing the subject. He's talking about the same subject. He said, he said Peter, when you were young... You used to dress yourself, right, and go wherever you wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. I'm a man's man. I take charge of my life. He says, when you're old, you will spread out your hands. And people will take you by the hand and lead you to a place that you don't want to go. What is he saying? That, that word, therefore, spread out your hands, is, uh, is a really important word, Right? It's the same word that's used of crucifixion, of spreading out your hand. What is he saying to Peter? He's not saying this necessarily to you. He's not saying to you, John, you're going to be crucified. He may say that to you, but but he's not saying that. He's saying to Peter, I hold the future. Peter, you don't think that your love can grow to the point where you could lay down your life for me, but I, I, I know the future. I know that you will. Peter, you're, you're going to be crucified for me. And he's talking upwards. We don't know for sure to each other, but he knows upwards of 30 years in the future that Peter would be in Rome roughly the same time as, as the Apostle Paul, that Nero would, would begin persecuting Christians, and at some time in that period from AD 64 to 68, Peter and, and Paul would both be a martyred for their faith. And Peter, tradition tells us now, it's not in Scripture, tradition tells us that he was crucified, but he wasn't crucified like Jesus, was he? Tradition says Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to let them crucify him right side up. He was not worthy of being crucified like his Lord. He wasn't trying to outdo the Lord. He was not worthy. We're going to see a different Peter, beloved, in the next few weeks. We're going to see a man who is transformed by the love of of God, but I don't want you just to watch from the sidelines, right? What, what's happening on, on, the, on the sidelines of a, of a football game or a soccer game? You got you got a few people desperately in need of rest, and a bunch of other people desperately in need of exercise, right? I want you to get in the game. I want you to not just intellectually assent to that God loves you, but I want you to understand that that love transforms you, and through you, God can transform other people as well. If you will risk. Letting God love you and love through you. So I want to translate this question into three questions. First of all, do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Because we play mind games with ourselves 
And we put love of Jesus in certain categories. But he's been very clear about what that might mean. I don't know what was going through Deborah's mind when, when she saw the gunman on the motorcycles. I don't know, uh, it was shortly before the bullet penetrated her head, what she was thinking. But I do know this, that she loved Jesus. She chose 25 years before to go there. To go there and to offer her life as a sacrifice for the love of God that Muslims might come to know the love of God. And I texted this morning, Christopher, trying to catch up, saying, is there any update? And I, and I checked my, just a few moments ago, checked my phone to see if he had answered back. I don't know an update. I know they're scheduled to come back. And probably there'll be some more surgeries here in the United States when she comes back. But, but I, I, what I'm wondering is what's going to happen after that. I don't know. I'm, and I'm not putting Deborah in a box. But I know that it was love that called her there. And bullets aren't going to keep her from the love of God for Muslims. Uh, do you love Jesus? And I want to translate now these, these two powerful words for you slightly differently. I'm going to ask two different questions as a result of that. What is, what is phileo love then? It is love for others, right? It is love for people who will be your brothers and sisters. It, it, is, uh, it is love for those whom God loves, for those whom God loves. Some of the scholars in our midst will be looking at that and they'll see all kinds of arguments about this whole dynamic that I've just unpacked for you. But it's because they misunderstand this. Phileo love is a love, a passionate love for those whom God loves. By the way, whom does God love? Pardon me? Everybody. Everybody, especially those who haven't heard. Many have rejected that love, right? but especially for those who haven't heard. I was astounded uh, in Nepal, this very small country, to learn that there was 20 people groups, at least eight of which have never even had the gospel shared with them. You know? Um, wow. Um, do you love those whom God loves? He's inviting you to. For some of you, that means that you will, <laughs> you will watch two-year-olds in a vacation Bible school. I don't see them in our midst, but for some of you that will, that will mean that you go to Syria to love on Syrian refugees this summer uh, in Jesus' name. For some it means you go to the uttermost parts of the earth. It doesn't matter where you go. It matters what is in your heart. Do you love Jesus? Do you love those whom Jesus loves? And lastly, picking up on that meaning of agape, uh, if phileo is loving those whom Jesus loves, agape is loving how Jesus loves. How Jesus loves. Not when it's convenient, not when it makes you feel good, not even when, when it makes you feel part of a family, the meanings of second and third levels of love, but loving sacrificially even if it doesn't mean anything to you at all because God has invited you to reproduce Christ in that way, to lay down your life. Do you love Jesus? Do you love those whom Jesus loves? And do you love how Jesus loves? There's not one husband or wife in this room who hasn't been pressed to that, to love sacrificially your spouse. There's not one parent or child who's not been pressed in this to love your children or to love your parents, how Jesus loves 
them sacrificially. I love the way that a holy experience put it last week. Some of you sent that around. Uh, even when it's inconvenient. Even when it's inconvenient. I guess what I'm saying is the adventure's not over. Did you see what Jesus said at the very end? I know you've forgotten now. It's been a long time since we read that scripture. But, but he, Peter threw him a curveball and looked back at, guess who? John. Jesus has just told him, you're going to be crucified for me. You're going to be able to do this, Peter. He looks back at John and says, what about him? <laughs> Isn't that Peter? This is pre-Pentecost Peter in his full glory. right? What about John? What about him? And, and Jesus says, don't worry about John. Don't, by the way, John called himself again. The disciple, don't worry about John. By the way, what do we know about John? What does tradition say to happen for John? He lived into his old age. He wrote books of the Bible, Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote those things in his old age. He was the one, tradition says, the one disciple who, who God allowed to be that living witness, that testimony into multiple generations. He says, Don't worry about anyone else. You follow me. Not one of us in this room has the same path. Not one of us. Jesus says, you follow me. If you lose connection with the love of God, that will be a terrifying thing. If you can keep that connection of how beloved you are, it's not terrifying at all. It's the ultimate adventure. Love. Following Jesus. Let's follow him together in the weeks and months to come. Let's follow him now, gaining the power of the Holy Spirit through Pentecost to strengthen us from the inside, to become that living fountain on the inside. Let's follow Jesus together. As always, if there's any way that I can help you, that we as church can help you in your walk of following Jesus, we would greatly, greatly desire to do that. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you. Thank you for the witness of of um, amazing life like Peter's. Thank you, uh, God, that, that you didn't withhold anything, that it was, it was a real life. It was, it was a, a life full of failures and brokenness and pain and weakness. But I thank you, God, that, that it's not our strength that you use, but as Paul would later say, it's, it's our weakness. I thank you that it's not our wholeness and our feeling good about ourselves that you use, but it's, it's our brokenness. God, I, I have a hard time saying this. I thank you that it's not about our faith. Because like Peter, our faith is smaller than a mustard seed. No, God, it's about our love. It's about love. So God, would you take these weak, broken, and faithless hearts and would you fill them with your love? First, God, an awareness of your love for us in the midst of our brokenness. But then, God, with ever-increasing ability, an awareness of what your love can do through us. God, did you take these hearts and offer them God, we offer them to you. Just a sacrifice, God. You shape them. You mold them. You make us, God, to be the women and men 
through whom your love can flow. God, I pray that if there is those who never open the door of their heart to you, that even in the safety and beauty of this place, that you would grant them that mustard seed of faith. To say, I receive your love, God, for me. I believe that Jesus is the mechanism of that love. And God, I will commit to being your instrument of love to others. And God, for those of us who have been so busy comparing ourselves to others around us, rather than following you, I pray that you would grant us new eyes to see Jesus, that you would grant us new courage to follow him wherever that path leads. I pray, God, that you would overflow through us by your Holy Spirit the love of Christ. God, our heart is not ours. Our heart is yours. Yeah.